Welcome to week one on our new series, Grace, You Matter to God. When this series started to take formation, I think uh, kind of first within, within my heart pastorally, I wanted to teach the book of Galatians. Galatians is a book whose overall theme is grace, but I'll tell you this, back in February of last year when, uh, when we started looking at this and, and I handed the idea to our content director and, and she began breaking it down for devotion and and kind of giving structure to it, right? Think of a cow. I love thinking of cows. They're so delicious. Think of a cow when you do. You take like a, a half a beef, and there's so many different cuts within it, right? You have your chuck roast, your sirloins. You got your rib steaks and your filet. You have all these things that needs to be broken down. When when the when I would say when we started butchering it. Yeah, we did that. Um, when we started cutting it up and getting it into the, the content flow when that work was being done, it was really hard. It was really hard. A lot of conversations and a lot of work trying to figure out where exactly was this going, knowing the overall theme of grace was there, but there's so much within this book, and it feels like Paul is ticked off. And it seems a little kind of like, um, I, best, I think the best word I was just used when we were talking a minute ago is a dichotomy between the theme of grace and the tone of Paul. He sounds like a lawyer who's really going after someone in this. He's, he's really direct and he's really blunt, but um, what he's doing is he's reminding them of something, reminding this church of Galatia of the grace of God. And so when we look at this, one of the things we want to do is... Um, is hold on to that message of grace. And remember that the world's messages for us are a lie. And the truth of the gospel is that God loves us. We have a God who loves us, a God who has put his righteousness onto us and wants us to be part of his family. He creates a church where others need us. So now we have purpose and function and he equips us for a special purpose within his kingdom and his eternal plan. Wow. It's going to be really good. This series is going to be really good. We're going to really teach on one verse a week, but you're going to be reading the whole chapter and supplemental scriptures through the week, so stay in those devotions because it's going to be good. But I want to pivot real quick, and I want to talk to you about something. I was watching this morning um, a thing on the BBC. First of all, because I like their accents, they're like, pay attention to the mother bear. And I'm like, oh, I love that. It's so awesome. Um, but uh, I was watching this thing on this huge, oh, she was so big, um, like albino black bear. So she's white. Um, she's got this white coat, and then she has these three little uh, bears, and they're hanging up in a tree, hanging out up in a tree, just I don't know, doing what bears do. And she is being very protective of them. They're next to a stream. It's in the Pacific Northwest that gets a lot of salmon running up it, and it's that season, so they had just eaten. She lays down next to this huge tree. I mean, seriously, it's like massive. It's probably like if it take three or four grown men to wrap their arms around it at once. It was massive. She lays down taking a nap because, I mean, she's got three little kids. She deserves a nap. They're in a tree, you know. She's asleep. Unbeknownst to her, around the corner comes a massive black bear, a male. Now, they'll kill the cubs because, I mean, they're just super bad dads. And uh, so they'll kill the cubs. She's asleep, and he startles her. She is much smaller than this black bear. 
she lights that dude up like nobody's business and just smack. That was a good bear sound. She just smacks him upside his head and then he kind of runs around the tree and she loses him and she turns around and she's walking and her nose is low to the ground and there is a grunt coming out of her and I'm like, oh, she's so ticked because she is ready to fight. She's actually ready to die for them, for those cubs. And they're like in the tree like, oh, Mom's going to smack him into next week. They know what's happening. And uh, this big black bear comes around the tree, and she lays into him, lays into him, smacks him around, runs him down to the creek bed, ah, bites him on the back. I'm like, oh, bite him. And she's getting after him. And eventually he's like, dude, crazy woman. Just walking around a tree, right? Like he was not happy about it. And he walks off, and the, and the announcer, not the announcer, uh, whatever the guy is, he's in BBC, he's like, she's lucky he didn't fight back because he could have killed her with one swipe of his paw. He's so much bigger. But she's a mother bear, and she's protecting her cubs. I said earlier that Paul was like a lawyer in this book of Galatians. I would say Paul was like a mother bear in the book of Galatians. To be honest, in a lot of these passages, he is ticked off. He is not happy. If he was in a nature video, his head's low to the ground and there's a grunt coming out of him that signifies to the people who've invaded the safe place that his spiritual offspring have, he is roaring back and he's letting them know he's here for the fight. That was the weird part of this whole book. How can a book on grace be so like, have such a razor's edge to it? But I think that's the, that's the reality of the gospel. It's the thing I love about our values, seriously fun. We enjoy this life, but when it gets serious, there are certain things we take very seriously. And in the same way, Paul does that as well. How can he seem so angry? He's angry like a big brother defending a picked on little sibling or a mother bear protecting her cubs. He's angry because something has made its way into the church that should have never been there. And it's stealing the gospel of grace and replacing it with unnecessary rules. Hear that. Something came into this young church plant, stole the gospel of grace, which is the unmerited favor of God on an undeserving person. That's you and I, by the way. We get the favor of God poured into us because he loves us. The unmerited favor of God was being stolen from people and new rules to live the Christian life were being applied to them. In this day and age when this happened in the Galatian church, the people who brought the rules were called Judaizers. They were They were Jewish people who were piling, uh, and I think they were Jewish converts to Christianity, who were piling all the legal regulations of the Jewish life onto the Christian life, and Paul was having none of it because... 41 to 44 AD when this book was written, Paul had uh, Paul was giving his life in service to Christ and he wasn't gonna let the grace of God be replaced by some man-made rules that had nothing to do with God's love for them. So we need to know this, that same grace-killing, like joy-stealing reality and attitude to the gospel is not just present there. It's present in our modern context. It's here today. Here's the way that I would like to paint for us to think about them, okay? And uh, it's gonna seem juvenile because 
Yeah, you know. Um, but I want you, this is a good word to think of them. But. Right? It's perfect. You're like, yeah, that's right. That's what they are. No, that's not what I said. What I said was the best way to describe them is the word but. God loves you. You are loved. But you need to do this. Right? Yeah, you're forgiven, but you need to do X, Y, and Z to really be saved. And when we look at that and understand that, we understand that they bring in doubt into our lives and they pile on regulations that have nothing to do with the relationship with Jesus Christ. It has everything to do with a moral code they feel is important. And we as Christians need to understand the best way to identify Anybody who is a grace-stealing person is to remember the word but. Oh, yeah, you're a Christian, but you could never do that. And I want to be like, but Jesus found me as a sinner, and he saved me from my sins. But he filled me with his spirit and invited me to new life, and I'm being transformed into his image. So we look at this and we understand the word but matters as a descriptor for them. So we'll hold on to that. So through this series, we're going to hone in on one verse per chapter, and we're really going to dig in and hold on to this and understand what's being said in this one verse because you're going to read the whole chapter throughout the week. So here we go. The context of chapter one is really this. The church in Galatia is a group of people who had been invited to come and see. They, like you, had been invited to come and see this Jesus Christ, to let Jesus Christ come and see who they really were. They were people who had responded to the invitation and the grace of God and had received them into their life. Paul had taught them the gospel. He had trained up some leaders. And here's what happens. Then they were left on their own because Paul didn't stay in Galatia. He goes on to Ephesia, Ephesus, not Ephesia, my word. Um, he goes on to Ephesus. He goes on to Corinth and Athens and different cities. Uh, but they were left on their own with a, for a time with leaders. And in Paul's absence, some people came in and started teaching. Well, here's what they did. They came in and acted like they want to join them. They, they come in and they act like, you know, we want to be part of you. And then they get in like, and by the way, if we're going to be part of you, boom, do all this. And they sneak their rules in. It's kind of a Trojan horse thing, right? They come in looking good, but then they unload all their, their kind of arsenal of grace-killing material. We have it in this church all the time. That's why we have our values, right? We're not going to let grace get stolen here. But Paul sees this in the church. They act like they want them to join them, but then they bring a false gospel, Tell Telling the people they need to observe the Jewish customs and rules in order to be Christians. And the people of the Galatian church start to listen to these new people and new, they're very much leading voices in the community and they try to do the things they say in order to win favor. They want to be well liked by the people who speak the loudest and have the most influence from within the laity, the, the attending people of the church. So they start doing this to please them. And Paul hears this report and is furious. Remember, albino bear clicking and roaring. This is the Paul we see, ready to fight an opponent much bigger than him. Why? Because he believes in their spiritual safety and he's willing to put the wood to whoever brings them. I love that about Paul because it says this, grace is worth fighting for. 
It's worth fighting for. It's worth being tough about. It's worth being um, straight about. Like, this is it. This is truth. It's important that we have truth, and Paul's willing to fight for truth. He's willing to fight for grace, and he writes this letter in response to these people, and the first chapter basically reminds them, the church in Galatia, that they had received the grace of Jesus Christ when Paul taught it to them, and they had accepted it, and now they're obeying the message of someone else, and they shouldn't do so even if an angel came and preached to them. Why? Because Paul said to them, I myself learned it from Jesus. There is no higher authority. You got this from the highest source. This is grace. It is yours. Receive it and live in it. So if someone comes preaching something else, oh man, he's going to have at them. And we find this in this verse, uh, chapter verse 10 of chapter 1, it says this, Galatians 1.10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God, Paul asks, or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So what does it mean? It means that God's opinion is the only one that matters. Paul, I mean, Paul takes people who kind of dilute the gospel and add things to it. He's like, you can pound sand. Get away. Get out. This, no, that's not it. And notice, he's not gentle about it. He's like, like boom. Like he puts, he puts himself into it. It's, it's a confrontation. But why? Because he knows that he is going to please God. And to please God, he cannot please God people. He is not going to do it. So he asks rhetorical questions. Am I trying to win the approval of these people? Remember, the church in Galatia was listening to them and doing this because, why? Because they were trying to win their approval. And Paul's like, I don't want their approval. I don't even want them near unless they do what? Accept the grace of God in Christ alone. So when we look at this, we understand that, um, that this, chat, this verse that we're seeing is Paul saying there's nothing else that matters. Don't worry about what people think. Worry about what God thinks. And more importantly, worry about what God thinks of you. Today we're going to talk about the impact people have on us, their opinions of us. If I care what people think, and this is hard for me, because I really do, and maybe you could weaponize this and hurt my feelings, but I guess I'll just put it out there. Uh, I care what people think. When I get criticism, it hurts. I'm a human being. I'm a person. When relationships hurt, I hurt. That's just part of life, right? But here's the thing. If I worry only about that, I'm not following Christ, and his words are the ones that matter. So what's God's opinion of me? What's God's opinion of you? I mean, if there was a question to ever find the answer to, this is it. And guess what? We have the answer. It's written not only in Scripture, but we know it. We know it to be true if we've accepted the grace of God. So first of all, the answer to that question is this. You are loved. You, 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 you are loved. You are loved by God, and it's proven in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's going to be confirmed in his coming again. So what we know is this. You are loved. You are loved. John 3.16, the one that's held up in every football stadium between the uprights. You know, and people might, might not know what that is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Don't be surprised if the world doesn't understand that kind of love. 
Don't be surprised if the world doesn't understand that God so loved this world that he sent his only son into it to die our death so that he could be raised up and we could live in his life. Don't be surprised if the world doesn't get it. If I care what people think or say, I'm not following, right? So here's what we know. Don't worry about that. Worry about the fact that you are loved by God. He has pursued you and called you to himself. And when the world doesn't get it, we know this. We can't trust their opinion anyway. The world is fickle. They don't know. They do not know really what love is. Makes you think of a song, doesn't it? I want to know what love is. Anybody? I want you to show me. And you just and you just like see these rock bands from the 80s. Because the 80s, I think the hair bands were awesome back in the 80s. But like, you know, or that song, What is Love? And then baby don't hurt me. Remember that? Anybody? No? Awesome. Um, so here's the thing. When you hear them asking these questions or calling out, like, what is this kind of love? Culturally, we sing about love, and it gets very sensual really quick, which is easy, right? Sensuality, like, that, it's just easy. What's not easy is intimacy, the kind of selfless love we see in God, that God didn't come to extract something from us. He came to give of himself in the most rich way possible. What I love about that is that this world can't get it, but we can receive it, and we can know that we are loved. When we look in John chapter 3, um, 1 John 3, 1 says this, see what great love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called sons daughters of God, the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is because it did not know him. The reason the world rejects the church is because it did it to Jesus first. They rejected him first. So how does that apply in our lives? How does that apply for you and I in this world and in this day and age? Paul asked, am I trying to win the approval of God or man? What are we doing when we try to win approval? We're trying to be loved, we're trying to be wanted, and we're trying to be needed. I'm gonna just let you have a sneak peek into my psyche. When I moved around when I was younger a lot, I had a lot of friendships. And then I moved around a lot when I was a young adult and YWAM and Mercy Ships and different things. And I found something out that devastated me and I didn't realize I had learned it until I realized I was trying to prevent it. I realized I was replaceable. And it killed me. I, how many times, Erica, have we talked about? Like it just eats at me. I don't wanna be replaceable. I fight that. So what did I do? I worked to serve people. I've done that before in my life. And to be honest, it's not that I don't want people's approval. It's not that I don't in some way need it. But the reality is, I don't care anymore. I am replaceable. I will be replaced in this world. I don't think I'm replaceable in my marriage or in my, in my children's lives. But I will tell you this, I'm replaceable, except to one except to one who gave his only begotten son so that if I believed in him, I wouldn't perish, but I would live eternally with him. I'm unreplaceable to one. And so I'm gonna dial in on the one who loves me because we're trying to feel, fill the void of being replaceable by the approval of other people. But that only leaves us feeling empty 
leaves us feeling stupid. I mean, one of the feelings you get, oh, it is the worst. When you get rejected by people, you just feel dumb. Like, man, I feel so stupid. I don't know about you, but I've felt that before. I've actually said it recently to Eric. I just feel so stupid. Why? Why? Because I wanted them to value me, and deep down, due to our limitedness, they can't love me the way my soul needs. Who does? Jesus. God. He loves me. He loves me. And I'm not replaceable there. I'm not stupid there. Like the words of that little boy. Why do they have to say that out loud? Oh, I feel so stupid. We write things on our own hearts and minds and psyches and emotions. You're stupid. You're used. All these things, right? Here's what we have to dial in on today. Nothing extraordinary, extraordinary happened in that opening video with that little boy. It was just a rough day. Got called in by the teacher. Got left out by friends. How many times has that happened in your life? How many of those encounters have you felt where you just fall short? You come up against something and you don't measure up and you're left out or you're, someone moves on from you or whatever happens. We feel unloved or we feel worthless because we're looking for people to fill We're looking for people to fill inside of us what is really a God-shaped hole. Only he can fill that in us. So here's my encouragement to you, and it starts with this. Stop listening to them. Stop listening to them. Don't give them the freedom to live in your head rent-free and redefine your worth. Stop listening to them. Stop listening to yourself. Oh, man. I have a unique gift for self-loathing. I like, if I'm feeling down, I like to stew on it. I like to slow cook it a little. I'll just kind of get real internal. Stop listening to yourself. Quit giving yourself, quit giving voice to your fears and your heartaches that try to define you. You know, you're stupid, you're unloved. When the gospel is literally proclaiming the opposite, you are loved, and his, God's, opinion matters. It's not seeking to win the approval of human beings. We will avoid what happens in Galatia if we stop looking to get the approval of people. If we stop looking to get people to approve of us, here's the thing. We'll avoid the, um, the mama bear thing that happened with Paul. We won't give in to doing things that make people happy. There's going to be people who leave this church because we're not going to do what you think we should. We're going to do what God called us to do, and I'm not going to apologize for it. But I might not be well-liked at times. Right? That's, that's what God calls us to, to stand up and know that people won't be happy all the time, but if my goal is making them happy, I am not living a Christian life. I am serving an internal idol of self-satisfaction that will never be satisfied, and I won't be serving Christ, because Christ is opposed in this world. Time and time again, it happens. So what I want to do in this is take a minute And go, now what? So take this information and kind of go, now what? What do we do? How do we leave here changed? What do we do with what God has taught us? 
here, and, and it shouldn't be this easy, but it actually is pretty simple. The problem is, is the discipline of living it out. For those of you who struggle to find your identity in Ibla, for those of you who struggle to find your identity in Christ, if you struggle with that, those of us who find ourselves like the boy in the video, replaying all the words of, well, basically the words of the thief who stole our true identity in Christ throughout the day or even throughout all of our years, just remember that this week some things are gonna happen. You're gonna lose it something. Oh, I hate losing so much. I found this out. I hate losing more than I love winning. If I lose, I don't like losing. Winning's fine. It's just not losing. I don't like losing. Here's the thing. You're going to lose. You're going to lose a game. You're going to lose a contract. You're going to lose in a relationship. You're going to lose this week, but that doesn't change your value. You are going to lose this week something important that wants to redefine you, but it does not change your value. Things are gonna happen in the upcoming week that cause you to question things. And I want this phrase to be echoing in your mind. All those losses, all those words, all those thieves stealing your true identity, they don't define your value. Remember God's message to you. When you face those things that wanna change your worth, remember God says you are loved. You are loved. His proof is in Christ that he sent him, that he allowed him to die, and that he raised him again and pulled you up in that new life, that he separated your sin as far as the east is from the west off of you so that you could live abundantly in him. And that abundance is an understanding that you're loved, you're valued, and you're important. Decide today that you are not going to give value to those other words. Decide it. It's a lie from the pit of hell that seeks to rob you of an identity, a purpose, and a character of God in your life. Don't let it be stolen. Don't give in to it. Your value is unchangeable. Your value is set, and it's defined by a God who is above the systems of this world that try to redefine us. Do not give value to the other voices who try to remove it from you. For those of you who don't struggle with this as much, man, I'd love to meet you. I wonder what it's like, you know, because there are people who seem like Teflon. You're like, oh, man, that's a horrible outfit. And they're like, I know, right? I chose it. And you're like, oh, wow, you... You choose this, right? I mean, it's just amazing to me. Here's the thing. There are people who have that Teflon. I've got a couple friends who have that, and it's amazing to me. It's weird. Like, you want to say mean things and see them, and they don't even blink. They're like, oh, yeah, that's probably true. You're like, wow. That's, do, you, do you feel anything? Like, hold the lighter to them. You know, and they're like, oh, and like, oh good. I'm just make sure you're not a robot, right? But there are some of you who don't struggle with this. And I think you can hear in my teaching right now, I'm rambling because I'm a little jealous. <laughs> I'm just a little jealous of it. I wish it didn't hurt so much when people questioned or commented or doubted or thought I was stupid. I wish it didn't matter. I'm not one of these Teflon people, but I'm getting there. I'm getting there because I know where my identity is. I'm not willing to hurt people arbitrarily, but I'm willing to allow pain to be present to hold on to grace, but if you are one of the uniquely gifted people who don't struggle with this identity complex as much, you still have something to take home. I want you to think with me. 
you're the mama bear. You're the Paul. You're the one when someone's value is attacked, you're the one who starts popping her jaws and standing up and getting bigger than she actually is to face an opponent you could never beat, but you're not gonna back down. Why? Because they're worth it. You're somebody who has to mother bear other people to maturity. Like, how great is that? How great is that? Those bears will grow up to be like gigantic hairy bears, right? These big tough things. But right now they're tender and they need someone to care for them. It could be you. If you're Teflon in this and these things don't matter as much to you, you need to learn what it is to put yourself in between the accuser, the one who redefines our value, and the one who is, who is tender to being redefined. You're the one who has to stand up and not allow it to happen. If you know people who are young in their faith and you see them being drawn away or distracted by a gospel not rooted in Christ, anything that's not rooted in Christ is an antichrist. There's a lot of them out there in this culture. People may feel a lot of things, but the gospel is a known. And if you're one of these people who have that ability to just hold your ground on this and not be wounded by it, if you see other Christians placing heavy burdens on young Christians of faith and forcing them to live in a way that is, that is not, it's just legalism, you're the one who is supposed to be like Paul. Get between them and the liar and push. I mean push. Remember the story of the bear. She drew back that big old albino white paw, and she's like, what pop? I know it sounds kind of unchristian, but it's pretty wonderful that Paul, in a letter of grace, came out swinging like a champ. Why? Because what was going on was stealing the true identity of the church. I will tell you this. Whether you're someone who struggles with this wound or someone who is called to protect it, we have a role, we have something we have to do in this, and it's quite simple. It's to believe that John 16 was written because he loves you. Not just the whole world, he does, but he loves you. You are loved. Lord Jesus Christ, we as your church, we remember and we hold to the promise right here, right now, today, that we are loved. We are loved. We are cherished. We are something, someone you want close to you because you desire relationship with us. So today, we believe what you say. And we ask, God, in your wisdom, in your power, and in your goodness, would you find the mute button over this culture that speaks a worthlessness into us and hit the mute button so that we could be built up and restored by the love of God for us, which is seen in the person of Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his pulling us up into new life with him. And it's in his name we pray, amen. You hear me talk about the gospel of grace, and I would like to just tell you what it is. If you're one who was invited to come and see, um, the, the gift of salvation is this, that there was a time when we were separated from God, and the chasm, the, the canyon between us was too great, and no human endeavor or effort could have ever bridged it. So God in his love for us, sent his son Jesus, who fulfilled all the obediences to the divine law. And then he died your death and he died my death so that we 
could be separated from our sin. Our sin is not what we do, it's actually our nature, which means we are given a new nature. When Christ rose from the grave, he rose to life new, life redeemed, and we are invited to that life, which means if you have lived in habitual sin all your life, you're not bound to that. It may take a long time to work that out in you. I know of other stories where there's people who've been addicts for years, and when they receive Jesus, it's gone. It's gone. I've had some issues in my life where I laid it down before God, and he removed it. And I'm like, that's amazing. I've, I've seen it, I've heard of it, and I've also... As Eugene Peterson said, I've lived a life that is becoming a long obedience in the same direction. I'm trading in little decisions every day, my sinful nature for the nature of Christ. And I'm growing into his image by his Holy Spirit. If you don't know what it is to be free from sin and invited to grow into the image of Christ, I would like to invite you to do so today. It's really quite simple. It's inviting him to forgive you of your sin. In prayer, just ask him to forgive you. Ask him to be your Savior, your Lord, and to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And then, do us a favor. Send us an email and we will reach right back out to you and we will help you begin the process of living a life full of grace. And grace, as we've talked about, is worth fighting for. So if you don't know him, we'd love for you to know him. If you've forgotten what Christian life is and you live by a bunch of rules, I would invite you, give yourself back to the grace of God and live freely and lightly, not bound by religion, but bound in a relationship to him who saw eternity without you as too much to bear. As you go from this place, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it is time for the church to turn off the TV. Yeah, because you're not in the building. All right, have a great week, guys.